All right. Amen. Well, if you're not sure what you just saw on the screen, let me take a minute to explain that to you. Uh, that was, those were uh, images from our Christmas store last weekend. Every year as a church, um, we go into the community and set up a Christmas store. This year it was at Liberty Elementary School. Um, our church family donates gifts, and then we work with the school system to invite families who may be struggling this time of year um, just to make ends meet to come into the Christmas store and shop uh, free of charge for their families. And it's an opportunity to, uh, to take this love that we have from Jesus in a tangible way and love on folks in our community. And, uh, and this weekend, we're taking, uh, uh, we're taking a meal uh, as well today. Many of our families are out delivering meals even right now to some of the families from the Christmas store. It was a really great opportunity to work together and also to love together um, because we've been loved so well. I want to point out a couple of things. Um, first of all, as you might have seen, uh, you know, this is an elder-led church, and so one of the requirements of being an elder here at the church is that you've got really good dance skills. So not only is Daniel Henderson a spiritual leader here in the church, he's got dance moves as well, so thank you for that, Daniel. Um, also want to point out, uh, as we were looking at the wrapping station, I noticed a couple of things. So I always hear these kind of excuses from folks in the church, particular men. We tend to be a little bit prideful about getting in and getting involved and serving because we don't always find all these masculine things we can do. But I don't know if you noticed some of the, the folks wrapping gifts. I think I saw Ian Velarde and John Howerton and Wes Stevens. So there are no more excuses, right, for getting involved in what God is doing if those guys are willing to wrap gifts. And I'm just curious, who went behind those guys and rewrapped those presents? I'm sure that was necessary. No? Okay. No, seriously, uh, it was a really good time uh, last weekend to serve and still going on today. And not only that, we're going to continue to follow up with these families throughout the year to find out how we can serve and love them uh, in a tangible way as an expression of the love we have from Jesus. And not only that, this was a big weekend as well, as we see represented right up here in the front uh, with our student ministry back from the winter retreat rise. Uh, yeah, good times. Good times, yeah. I, uh, I made an announcement last weekend in our services um, that they were getting ready to go, and we actually started praying for you guys last Sunday in our services, um, but also let you guys as a church family know that um, we had nine students who wanted to go to Rise but couldn't, couldn't afford it. And so I just laid that before the church family and said, if God puts it on your heart and you want to pitch in, that would be awesome. And we needed about an additional $700. Um, you guys gave over $2,000 um, in scholarship money to help send students to rise. Um, that was in addition to our biggest giving Sunday this year, like over $15,000 of just general funds, then went over and above and made sure that students got to go to rise. And so this is a tangible expression of your generosity right here. And we were able to set aside around $1,400 for youth camp next summer for scholarships. We've already started investing in what God's going to be doing in our student ministry next year uh, through your generosity. And so um, another one of the reasons why I love this church, I love you, and I'm thankful that God allows me to be a part of this church family. So I want to let you guys know that. Um, if you're visiting with us today, um, let me just stop for just a, moment and, just a moment and say, let you know, my name is Jason. I have the honor of serving as the pastor here at the church, which doesn't mean a whole lot. I'm just a member. This is just what I do. Um, and, but I want you to know I'm thankful that you're here. And if I haven't had a chance to, to meet you or get to know you um, after the services, um, I won't be in this room. I go hide out. 
Down the hallway on the left is a meeting room, and I go hang out in there just so I can be available to meet um, those of you who are new around here, get to know your names and your stories and about what God is doing in your life. So please come see me. Um, I have a free gift for you too, and I've been fighting off all the members and letting them know they can't have them. They're free gifts for just those who are new. So come see me after the services uh, if, you, if you have time to do that. Um, one last or two last announcements. First of all, next weekend uh, on Saturday will be our Christmas Eve services. We've got three um, at the starting at 4 o'clock, 5.30, and then 7 o'clock. Um, we won't have any services on Sunday morning. We want you to be uh, celebrating Christmas with your family. So Christmas Eve, we'll have three services in this room with all the kids. So it's going to be legit. What did, uh, what, did, what did he say? It's going to be savage or beast. It's going to be exciting. Uh, for all the adults in here, it's just going to be a good time. Uh, but here's what I want you to do. Not only do I want you to come back and be a part of that, um, we've got some invitations on the table right when you walk in the hallway on the right. I don't know how many are left, but they're not any good for us after today. So just take all those, okay, and hand them out to friends, coworkers, neighbors, family. Invite people to come join us to celebrate the birth of Christ next Saturday. Um, and so um, one last announcement, mainly for our members or those of you who are about to become members or like to become members um, we, we do an all-member meeting the first month of every year to kind of go over the big picture, hit the big items, the things that we're anticipating God is going to do. Um, and so this January, rather than doing it like the second week in January, we're doing it the first week in January. So we're announcing it a little early so you're aware of that. Um, it's January the 4th. is a Wednesday night, 6.30 in this room. Uh, Awana ministry will be going on in the kids' building, so your kiddos can go there. Adults can come in here, and we're going to hit some really big things that God is doing. This is going to be an exciting year next year. We're going to be covering new staff positions. We're going to be covering the new building projects coming up. Uh, we're going to be going over the budget and looking at all that. We're also going to be talking about um, a family from our church that some of you are already aware of who's getting ready to head out to the Philippines that we're going to be supporting to go take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So a lot of big announcements to make in, in our all-members meeting January the 4th, Wednesday night, 630. Again, members or anybody who think, is thinking about becoming a member, come be a part of that meeting just to hear about what God is doing. Uh, all right, I think I've got all the announcements out of the way. We're ready to get started uh, with the sermon. So we are going to be looking at today the tree of life. This is the fourth Sunday in our Advent um, sermon series, and I'll bring you up to speed in just a minute. Um, and so what we're doing through this Christmas season as a church, um, this, the sermon series is called The Real Tree of Christmas. And our hope is that for us as believers that um, this Christmas season, as we encounter the iconic Christmas tree in so many different places, from our own homes to here at church, uh, department stores, the mall, you're going to see uh, the Christmas tree all over the place, that every time we see it, something will ring true inside of our hearts and stir within us um, this desire to worship Jesus, and that the real meaning of, tris of Christmas would be on the foremost thoughts of our minds this Christmas season. And so our journey has taken us from the beginning of our Bibles in Genesis all the way today to the very last chapter in your Bible, Revelation 22. And what we started with was the fallen tree. And so we looked at these iconic trees in the Bible, the first of which is the fallen tree. We looked at in the Garden of Eden, there was a tree that God called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what God said to Adam is that if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. And what, we've, what we understand about this tree is that before Adam and Eve ate from this tree, they only had a knowledge of what was good. Everywhere around them, everything they saw was a delight to the eyes, and it was good. 
However, through their disobedience to God and they ate from this tree, not only did they experience this curse of sin and death, but they passed it on to all the future generations. And so our first sermon in this series was the fallen tree, the fallen tree of humanity, that every person that has ever been born is a descendant of Adam and Eve. We have, we've incurred this curse that began in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. And then the next week, the week two, we looked at the tree of promise. In Genesis 12, God comes to a man named Abraham who has a wife but no kids and says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a family tree. But not only that, I'm going to bless all other families, all other family trees, through your family tree. And we looked at how his family tree became the nation of Israel, the prominent characters of the Old Testament that God promised through this nation of Israel that he would bring bring to us a Savior, a Messiah, We looked at Matthew chapter 1, this this genealogy of Jesus, how Matthew wants us to understand that the baby born in Bethlehem is the descendant of Abraham that God was talking about, that this tree of promise was Jesus. Now, last week, we looked at the tree of suffering, how the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 painted this, this portrait and this picture of suffering and death that there would be a tree of suffering, that that this Messiah would come, but he would suffer and die for us. And so we saw that last week in the tree of suffering, and today we're going to look together at the tree of life, starting in Genesis chapter 2, the tree of life. If you've got your Bible and you want to turn there, feel free to do that. The wind has got this projector shaking, so you might get seasick watching the scriptures up here. That's fine. Uh, Good news is we're replacing that projector mount next year to fix that. Uh, But feel free, if you don't have a Bible, we put them under the seats around you. So feel free to snag one of those and follow along. And as always, if you don't own a Bible, um, those are free gifts to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. All right, Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 8. We're in day 6 of creation. This is the garden. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now for the remainder of this chapter and the next one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is going to be the prominent tree of the narrative. And so what we see at this moment in creation is that Adam was placed in the garden, the garden of Eden, which means the garden of delight. And everything around him he sees is Good And here the description is this, that all the trees were pleasant to the sight and good for food. And, of course, God tells him, do not eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The moment you do, you will surely die. We saw in the first week what happened. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and they partook of this tree, and their eyes were open to the knowledge of evil. What I want to look at now with you is at, um, after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, God comes to them in the garden. They're hiding from God. They'd covered themselves up to hide from one another. They're experiencing the shame that, that, that we experience when we sin. And so they're hiding from God, like many of us probably have at some point in our journey. And God says, things, everything's different now. You've disobeyed me. You've done what I've asked, what told you not to do. So everything is different. There's now a curse. It's going to impact your marriages. From this point forward, there's going to be a lot of strife in marriage. It's going to impact relationship between parents and their children. It's going to impact childbirth. It's going to impact the way you work and make a, make a living. All of this has changed now. And then at the end of chapter 3, we read these words, starting in verse 2, Genesis 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, 
Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good from evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so we see here kind of the, the culmination of the curse is that, that Adam and Eve were banished from the garden in order that they might not eat from this tree of life. So in this part of the narrative, the only thing that can fix now what is broken is that they need to eat from this tree, but God has banished them from the garden. I want to make another note here. See, before the fall in the garden, Adam was placed in the, in the garden to, to manage it, to till the soil, to, to steward well this creation. And so, so this was a part of his worship. Every time he furrowed the ground, anytime he picked fruit from a tree, it was an act of worship. But now, as we're seeing, now he's banished from the garden, and what was once an act of worship has now become part of the curse. Now work will hurt. Work will be painful. It's why when you go to work, you get paid. Because why? Because you otherwise really wouldn't want to do it. Work would be hard. What was originally intended to be an act of worship between a husband and wife, that, that men would lead their wives in humility and gentleness and love and strength and be a protector and a provider, has now been skewed and, and cursed. Now there's enmity and strife between the husband and the wife. She no longer wants to follow his lead. She no longer trusts him to lead out in spiritual, practical matters. We see that this impacts the children. Genesis chapter 4, we got the two sons of, of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. What's, what, what, what's the opening scene? Cain gets jealous, kills his brother, murder. So we see that all that God has been created, has created good, has now been impacted by the curse. What was created for worship has now become part of the curse. Now, uh, as we go forward in the narrative of the Bible, before we ever get to Revelation 22, in the, in the prophets, we begin to, to hear about this tree of life again. Because, see, for humanity, there was a sense that we've been banished from the garden, so we've lost all hope. But through the prophets, God begins to remind the people of Israel that the tree of life still exists, and there will be a day when the nations will gather once again at the tree of life. We're going to stop off in Daniel, going through your Bible on our way to Revelation, the prophet Daniel in chapter 4. And we'll look in a minute at some of the visions that, that Ezekiel had as well. But we're going to look at a, a vision that Daniel had um, in the night. Now, it's so important to remember this. When you're reading prophecies in your Bible, especially the Old Testament, um, there's oftentimes a lot of the imagery that has to do with what's happening in their world right then and there. Kings and nations and things happening, and the imagery represents that. But on top of that, there's, a, there's another layer of, of, of looking forward in the prophecy to something that will come. So oftentimes you're reading from a prophet, and you can say, you know what? These things were going on in the world around Daniel, but at the same time, God is giving a vision of what is to be. And so this is true here in Daniel as he has this vision. Daniel 4, chapter 10, we read these words. He says, the visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven. 
and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. The leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heaven lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Now, at this point in time, we're not super clear. Is he seeing an image of the tree of life? What is this tree he's seeing? We'll see a little bit more in just a minute through Ezekiel, that in fact, he's beginning to see this image of what will be in the tree of life, that it will be visible from all corners of the earth. Every nation will be able to see this tree of life, and not only that, gather at its trunk and find protection and provision at this tree of life. Now, we're going to look at some of the visions of Ezekiel. So God begins to speak through uh, Ezekiel in chapter 31, again with a vision. It's a vision of what was going on with Assyria and things happening around Ezekiel in real time, but also painting a picture of what is to be. So we get this garden imagery in, in chapter 31, verse 3 of Ezekiel. Behold, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon. At this point, he's talking about a tree. We don't know what tree. He says, with, this tree was with beautiful branches and forest shade and of towering height, its top among the clouds. So it, begins, it sounds like he's seeing the same thing Daniel saw, isn't it? This, this huge tree on earth that reaches to the clouds or the heavens and it's visible to the earth. And then in verse 4, he says, the waters nourished it. The deep made it grow tall, making its rivers flow around the place of its planting, sending forth its streams to all the trees of the field. This begins to sound a lot like Eden in Genesis chapter 2. This river of life flowing, branching out, giving life to all the earth. And in this imagery, this river is, is coming up to the trunk of the tree and just going around it and then spreading out to all the earth. Verse 5, so it towered high above all the trees of the field. Its boughs grew large and its branches long from abundant water in its shoots. All the birds of the heaven made their nest in its boughs. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young. And under its shadow lived all great nations. Now what we're beginning to see is this isn't just a, a, any tree in any field growing, but this, this would be a tree that would be visible from all corners of the earth, a place of safety and nourishment and life, but a gathering place for the nations. Now can you for just a moment try to imagine what would happen right now if the nations gathered together in the same place on earth? All war would break out turmoil, division, the sword, vengeance, bloodshed, right? I mean, just take a look at the daily news headlines and see it, where the swords are rattling today. Something happening in Syria or China or North Korea or Russia, and, right? And if it's not one nation, it's the next. And, and it's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? That there would be a place on earth one day that nations could gather at the same place in the same time. And Ezekiel has this vision of the nations gathering together at this tree. In verse 7, he says, It was beautiful in greatness and the length of its branches, in the length of its branches, for its roots went down to abundant waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not rival it, nor the fir trees equal its boughs. 
Neither were the plane trees like its branches. That description is, you just take one branch from this tree, and there isn't any other tree on earth that's even as big as one branch. No tree in the garden of God was equal its beauty. I made it beautiful in the mass of its branches, and all the trees of Eden envied it that were in the garden of God. Now, we're going to get a clear imagery and description of, of Eden here, right? Now, in, in, on one hand, if, if all God was doing was reminding the nation of Israel what used to be, there's no hope in that, right? If, if all God is saying is, hey, remember this garden that I created, and, and now you're banished from it, and now you have access to it, there's no hope in that. But God is speaking prophecy through Ezekiel, not only talking about what used to be, but what shall be again. And so the, piece, the nation of Israel is beginning to get this hope that, hey, guys, we may get to experience that again. So in Ezekiel chapter 47, look at one more verse with me before we go, go on. We get this, again, this description and this vision that Ezekiel has. This is Ezekiel 47, 12. He says this, on, and on the banks, so this, this river, on the banks of both sides of the river, there will, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water flows for them, or for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Now, this is going to lead us to Revelation 22 in just a moment where we once again encounter this tree of life. But in this imagery, something really important has been communicated to us that along this river flowing from the sanctuary, this river of life that we read about in Eden and Genesis 2 that gives life and nourishment to the whole earth, along its banks will be trees or hedges or rows of trees giving life, and the fruit never goes out of season. Now, why is that so important to us? Well, today is a great example of seasons right? And we know this, that as cold as it is today and as dreary as it is outside, not just because it's Texas, but because we live on an earth that God created, it will get warm again. And there's a good chance if you've got trees in your yard that are not evergreens, they've lost all their leaves and they look dead, right? That's what happens every winter, winter after winter. It looks like the world dies. You know, this was actually the origination of the Christmas tree. Before it was a Christian emblem, the pagans would um, utilize the evergreen tree as a reminder of hope that the seasons would change again. So on the, the darkest, coldest day of winter, when everything looked hopeless and like death was certain, they would remind one another with an evergreen leaf or branch that spring was on the way, that hope was on the horizon, that, it, that God would one day, or whatever they believed to be God, would warm the earth and bring things back to life. As Christians, we have the evergreen tree in our homes too. Symbolizing what? Not just a change in the seasons, but eternal life. And here we read about this future vision of a tree whose fruit would never go out of season. It would give life all year long. No more winter. No more seasons that, that feel like death, but only life. Now, Revelation chapter 22 is where we're going to land this morning. This is the last chapter in your Bible. So, so this, is, this is looking forward. It has not happened yet. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to, we're going to get this beautiful imagery of, of what will be, what eternal life will look like for those who are in Christ. 
Now, John, if you remember John from the Gospels, uh, he was one of the 12. He followed Jesus. He listened to Jesus' teachings. He was sent out by Jesus to teach and to heal and and to be a, a representative of the kingdom of God. We know that of the 12 disciples, John is the only one left alive when he's writing this. All the other disciples have been killed, martyred, and died. John has been exiled on an island. God gives him this beautiful vision, just like he did Daniel and Ezekiel, of what would be. And so an angel is speaking to John about this, and we pick this up in Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, once again, just like in Genesis 2, we've got a river of life. Just like in in Ezekiel 37 and 41, we've got this river of life flowing from the sanctuary, the throne of God, giving life. He goes on to say this, And through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Does that sound familiar? And so here what we have, if we backed up a chapter in Revelation, we find some significant things. We first of all find the end of death itself. All of God's enemies finally die. Death and Satan are destroyed in Revelation 21, giving way to the new Jerusalem that will descend in its glory and splendor. And so what we're reading about in 22 is that in this new Jerusalem, we've got a garden here, a new Eden. And in this Garden of Eden, we have the tree of life. This is the imagery of this river flowing through the city, flowing to this tree. And then it describes this tree that it's actually on both sides of the river. I'm trying to get this in my mind. Big, tall tree maybe with its roots extending the ground. A river's running under it or the river's running around it. I don't know. Or like a, more like a hedge. The tree is growing along the side of the river. But the important part about the imagery is this. The tree of life with its 12 kind of fruits yielding its fruit each month. Such a simple phrase. But do you understand now the significance of that? This is eternal life. Life that never goes away. Life that never turns to death. Summer that never turns to winter, eternal life at the tree of life. And not only that, look at this. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, we talked last week from Isaiah 53 about how the wounds of Jesus have brought us peace and how his chastisement, his suffering has has brought us healing. But we talked about how that's a personal peace and a personal healing that you can have right now in your life despite what's going on around you, right? The world can be in chaos and turmoil. Nations can be at war. But as a Christ follower, you can have an internal peace that no circumstance can touch. Even while there's not peace on earth and goodwill to men, you can have God's goodwill and peace inside of you, a personal peace. But now what we're reading about is that in the future at the tree of life, the nations would be healed. Don't we need that? This world desperately needs for the nations to be healed. Something that we can't negotiate, we can't sanction, we can't go to war and fight for, something we can't accomplish on our own that only God can provide. This tree of life in the garden in the new Jerusalem would be eternal life for us, but it would be a healing place for the nations. 
So when Ezekiel begins to describe that the nations would gather under its shade, we get it. Finally, a place where enemies can sit down with no need for a sword or a gun or a weapon, and we can be at peace with one another, unified in the kingdom of God. And so this tree would be a nourishment year-round. It would be a place of healing for the nations. And then verse 3, look at verse 3 with me. This first phrase is so significant. No longer will there be anything accursed. Now let's, let's attempt to get our hearts and minds around this. So the curse of disobedience to God is sin and death. And the two things that we cannot overcome with our own strength as God's creation are sin and death. As hard as you try to overcome sin in your own strength, the one thing you will learn every time is that you can't do it. You can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You can look yourself in the mirror and get psyched up and say, I'm not going to sin again. And what happens? In your own strength, you fail. And so now you're left with two options. Give up or option B, which is normally what we choose. We put on the facade and we pretend to be better than we are. We try to hide, just like Adam and Eve, the fact that we're sinful and we're broken. While on the inside, we know we are desperate and we can do nothing to overcome sin. We desperately need help. The second thing is death. Now, and without even knowing your story, I know that every person in this room has been impacted by death in some way. There's a good chance that somebody you love or know, a family member or friend, has died physically. Some of you may be even facing terminal illnesses at this point, and you yourself are looking at that reality or possibility. But there is a truth inside of every one of us that the moment you were born you were headed towards physical death. There's just no way to escape it, right? You can put it off. You can, you can try to be fit and healthy, and, but you know that inevitably you cannot overcome death on your own. This is the curse. And what we're reading here in Revelation 22, verse 3, is there's no more curse. The curse of sin and death is gone. Is anybody longing for that? I mean, here we are at Christmas season, and all is not well on earth. There may be, even in your own family, all is not well. Maybe in your own heart you're struggling, and all is not well. Aren't we longing for all things to be made new? So we read that there will no longer be anything and then we get this description but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him since a simple way of God saying everything that I created you to be will be again you and I were created to worship God not from a distance but in his very presence to behold him face to face, to see him, to sing not at him or about him, but to him, to eternally worship God. And all of that will be restored at the tree of life. Verse four, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. That's this beautiful imagery of reflecting God's image. 
and night will be no more. They will, there will no, <clears throat> they will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign, how long? Forever and ever. This is a beautiful snapshot of eternity. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. This intimate access into the presence of God. You know, in the, in the previous chapter, we get a, 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 a more vivid description of what it means to be in the presence of God. Um, in Revelation 21, 3 through 4, let me just read this description. John hears something. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, listen to this, listen to this. If you don't think of Eden right now, you're going to miss it. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That's Genesis chapter 2. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Passed away. The curse is gone. Now, this is why this baby born in a manger grew up to say some things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through me. This is why Jesus says in John chapter 10, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Pasture is a metaphor for heaven here, for paradise, for Eden, for the place in the garden of delight. You see, Christmas, the essence of Christmas is eternal life. It's not about what was going on in the manger. It's about what the manger was opening up for us. The Son of God stepping aside from his glory, his majesty, for a brief moment in human history, being born in a manger. He steps into our world in order that what? That he might open up a way for us to step in, into his. Jesus is becoming like us, the Son of God becoming like us in order that what? That we might become like him and live eternally. Jesus is stepping into our mess, not just to fix our mess, but to provide a way for us to step out of this mess and into eternal life in this amazing scene from the garden. Listen, if you don't get this, Revelation 22, you completely miss the, re the meaning of Christmas. Completely. The birth of Jesus is not about Mary or Joseph or angels or shepherds. They're just part of the scene. Christmas is about eternal life. That's the real gift of Christmas. Jesus is the tree of life. So this Christmas season, my hope for us is that every time we see a tree, you know, regardless of how it's decorated, that we will be able to see past the decorations to what's at the core, this evergreen, and we will be reminded of the true essence of Christmas, the eternal life we have by faith in Jesus. That is the true meaning of Christmas. I'm gonna um, take a moment to just pray with you, if I could, and ask you to pray with me. And a couple of things I would like to mention, first of all, um, if you're here today and and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that this gift of eternal life is it's free for you today. 
God has laid that invitation on the table, and he's saying that if you will trust in Jesus, in Jesus alone, he will give to you forgiveness of sins and, and, and with that, eternal life. What we just read about in Revelation 22 will be yours, secured by him, by simply trusting in Jesus. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, I, my, my hope and my prayer is that, that, that something inside of you is stirring, that Christmas is, is so much more than just eggnog and decorations and gifts and traditions, but that there's something churning eternally inside of you this morning, that your heart would be postured and ready to worship the King of Kings for what he is doing and what he is yet to do still. So I want to pray with you now. Let's do that and I invite our worship team to come back up. So if you would just pray with me now. Father, we're so thankful for this amazing, beautiful snapshot of eternity that we just read about in Revelation 22. And we're so thankful that the tree of life is once again opened up to us. And even though there is no person in this room that deserves eternal life or forgiveness, you give it freely to us. You know the mess we're in. You know the desperation of our situation, yet you love us still. God, you know how prone we are to wonder and to, and to, to mess things up and to, to turn away from you, yet you love us still. Oh God, how we long to step into eternity, to live with you forever. We long for that day when the curse will be no more. Father, now would you churn in our hearts? Would you send your Holy Spirit? Would you move through this room and speak to us, God? As we prepare to respond, I just want to let you know if you're still praying and talking to God, feel free to stay seated and, and, and continue that. If you want to stand and sing this song together with us, you're, you're free to do that. We're also going to have prayer partners in the back of the room who would be honored to pray with you and talk with you about becoming a Christian or pray for whatever is going on. As the band leads us now in singing, let's respond to God.